the good, the bad, and the Boucherian. The good, the bad, and the Boucherian. And folks, you're listening to the good, the bad, and the Boucherian. For my mom, I feel like I can't. Because um, I would always be like, what's this and what's this? And I was always just constantly talking. And on her wedding day, actually, because um, mm-hmm. I was a flower girl, I remember she, like in the morning, she was like, so today I just really want you not to talk to me. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so that day I was just like, well, I guess I have to hang out with my cousins. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah. High school was where, like, it was very detrimental to me to have academic validation as my, like, the way I viewed myself, because... It's your boy, Billy, and we're back at it with another episode. Hope you guys are keeping well and safe and things are going well on your side as they are on mine. And I hope you guys are also gearing up for our scavenger hunt, which we're timing the podcast, which we've pushed to the 3rd of December because of the rains that are happening in this Nairobi. I remember in October, we were laughing about how sunny it was and we are laughing that this is the El Nino they talked about. But clearly, the El Nino finally came. And so we, as the team, decided let's monitor the weather a bit because it's an outdoor event. We want to give you guys the best experience. But on the 3rd of November, on the 3rd of December, rather, come rain or sunshine, we shall still have an event. So gear up your teams, listen to the podcast episodes because, of course, some of the clues will come from there. And be ready to win. And may the pod forever be in your favor. So <laughs> back to business. My guest in studio today is Paula Awino a political scientist, a research professional, a writer, a love of life. And today she'll be telling us a lot about her journey, a lot of things she does, she has done rather, in the past, and what makes her her and what has brought some of her experiences to life. So, Paula. Hey, hey. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. Where okay. have you been? So I just want to say, uh-huh. I didn't, I don't have Instagram right now, like on my phone. I deleted it. So that's why I didn't respond to your DM. Oh, why didn't, why have you deleted it? So Instagram is my Achilles heel. Like it's the one app that I am very addicted to because I don't have TikTok. So every time I have it on my phone, I'm just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And I told myself that for the month of October, I'm going to delete it. Um, And if I need to access it, that I access it on my computer. I didn't know that. I wouldn't have guessed, really. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a problem. (laughs) That level of self-awareness. Have you always been that self-aware? I mean, I try. You know, you can only try. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. But even if I was to understand Paula, what earlier context would I need to understand about Paula to understand who she is today and what makes Paula Paula? That is a big question. And I don't even yeah. know. You know, I'm I'm young. I'm just a young 
22 year old child so i feel like life is about figuring that out in general but if you're talking about like a young context mm-hmm. I, I, i don't know how i could say that i've you know very using less what? words then mm-hmm. i'll be able to answer it probably where did Paula grow up how was her childhood was Paula always mm-hmm. you know the typical overachiever um <laughs> you know was Paula the one who would attract all the boys in the class was hey, Paula you know so tell me about little Paula the joys the good the bad <laughs> okay um so i was born in the year 2000 and I actually grew up like the first few years of my life I grew up in Sierra so you know those sides of Lake Victoria with my grandmother so much so that I I call her mama like I don't call her Shosho or anything else mm-hmm. just because growing up you know that's that's what she was to me and her name is Awino which is the my second name and in uni that's the name i went by when i moved to new york um so yeah i would say she's been a very big influence to me but i don't know growing up i i always talked way too much i was asked too many questions what my mom always says about me um yeah i've definitely always been an overachiever just because you know that's just i feel like everybody are, around me is the same way. Mm-hmm. And I moved around like a bunch of different schools. Um and yeah, so I went to Lucania for my primary like in class 4 and it was interesting like making that adjustment, trying to figure out friendships. Um and then this is where I met Martin. uh we went to the same primary school and a few other people so i was always the top of the class from class 4 to like class 6 and then you know and, people trying to mm-hmm. find a school and then boom i'm there holding number 4 and it mm-hmm. was a very interesting time period like obviously for the longest time academia was always like how i tied myself worth and my value which is something i'm trying to unlearn until today mm-hmm. um, but yeah i don't know if that answers your question but it that does. was definitely the an answer and uh, so let's talk about first um being the child who always asks too many questions i think in the kenyan context or probably in the african context that such children were always looked to be a nuisance you're doing too much <laughs> and perhaps just didn't like that sometimes just thought you're questioning their authority when really you're just an innocent child wanting to know why this is this way and not that way right so tell me how yeah. this affected your your younger self and if at any point you had to you know dim yourself down to accommodate these teachers who probably would sometimes be hostile if that was the case or why your teachers probably understanding maybe they were and i'm you know assuming uh-huh I'll be so honest I feel like I can barely remember cuz like I said I moved around schools a lot so I went to kindergarten and like I barely remember what happened like I'll see pictures and I'm 
I have very fuzzy memories. Then I moved. I, ha I was in a different school in class one. And then I moved a different school, class two and three. So I, and honestly, I don't remember how my teachers reacted to my questions. Cause like I said, I was pretty consistently performing well. So maybe if they were annoyed with me, they tempered that with, I mean, she's performing well in class. So we'll let her ask all the questions that she mm -hmm. needs. But then, yeah, I can't specifically put, um, point out like a time when a teacher was annoyed with me because of my many questions. For my mom, I feel like I can, because um, I would always be like, what's this and what's this? And I was always just constantly talking. And on her wedding day, actually, because um, mm -hmm. I was a flower girl, I remember she like in the morning, she was like, so today I just really want you not to talk to me. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so that day I was just like, well, I guess I have to hang out with my cousins. <laughs> so mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, with that as well, talk to me about, you talked about uh, being a, re, you're a, recover, you're a recovering mm -hmm. uh, seeker of academic validation. And let's talk a bit mm -hmm. more about that. Um, where for a lot of us probably, we've always been, we've also been that loop of academic validation. For some, mm -hmm. we've always perhaps uh, by God's grace, been able to always meet these uh, targets or this, uh, yeah. you know, target, targets of academic validation. So if you're getting the A's, you got the A's. If you're getting the 400s, you got them. And so, mm -hmm. you know, it it has just continually fed into you wanting more academic validation. For the, but on the other side, you have people who, at some point, you're an overachiever, and then at some point, um, especially with the major exams, things don't go too well, and so mm. you you you've really tried to detach yourself from academic validation because clearly it becomes very detrimental when you want to base yourself off this one thing, but this one thing is not doing it anymore for you. You know, mm -hmm. you are probably the one who got the highest marks in KCPE and then come KCC, you don't get the highest marks. And so mm. who am I without academic validation? Who, because yeah. a lot of us are again growing up, academics was the thing. You know, our parents, you can do extracurricular, but academics comes first. And so we built our whole yeah. identities off this. So talk to me mm -hmm. a bit more about that. Okay. This is a very long story. So buckle we up. Time. <laughs> we have time, Paula. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I think it goes in phases. Like I said, when I moved schools in class four, I was pretty consistently top of the class until class six when just stuff changed. And then high school was where like it was very detrimental to me to have academic validation as my like the way I viewed myself because so in form one you know you go in I went to precious blood um you do your exams and the first exam because we still had meritless I was like number three in class which was valid you know we these are the best people from all across the country so it's like yeah um, this is where I measure up. But I remember someone coming up to me and being like, because I've, okay, this this will sound as if I'm praising myself, but I'm really not. I've always been very humorous or like funny. So mm -hmm. I think I was, people had 
written me off as the class clown a little bit. So then after the exam, I was number three, someone comes up to me and she's like, oh, I really didn't expect you to be above me was like the connotation. And then also hey. like that high. Uh-huh. And I remember I just, I laughed it off. Cause I, again, I barely, I don't take many things seriously except the things that need to be taken seriously. So I was mm-hmm. like, you know, that's no skin off my back, but it, it was very interesting. Cause I was like, Oh, where I've come from, like, you know, in primary, everyone knows me for being, you know, Smart. the top yes. of the class. So mm-hmm. how am I presenting that you didn't think that I could be, I could perform well. So that was like a very interesting thing that happened. And then, you know, as the rest of the time goes, ranking wise, I was always still pretty decent, but performance wise, it went, re- it went down. Cause you know how they mark papers, especially cause I did history. History was like my favorite subject, but the way they marked the papers made me, I I cried honestly, like more times than I would wish to admit, because, you know, they're like, they'll mark your, you, you read, you study, and then you have the exam, then the marks come back and like, let's say have a 40 something percent. I'm like, that's crazy. I've never gotten a 40 something percent. And they're like oh you know you're not supposed to use this word if you use this word automatically it's wrong or if we see this thing then we're canceling the whole um your whole answer so stuff like that used to happen a lot and I remember just sitting down and wondering like what can I do because at some point it felt like I didn't there was nothing I could do I remember one exam in particular again history um this is going to get very into the details, so bear with me. But we have the time. topic, mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> the topic was like, um, or the question in particular was, name list seven things or explain seven things that the United Nations has done, um, like achievements of the United Nations since its ex- establishment. And now you know how you read stuff before the exam, and you're like, ah, this won't come. I had literally just read that passage right before the exam. So I was like, ah, I know what the textbook says. And I'm just writing there and I'm using all their rules. I'm using whereas, I'm using this. I'm like, I have the intro sentence and then I have two two sentences explaining. So I was like, I've used all the rules they said and I just went on with the next questions. And then the results come and I'm seeing 47. And I'm like, mm-hmm. this is crazy. And then, some, you know, those people who are like, ah, I'm going to talk to the teacher and I'm going to find out what the marks, you know, like the real answers, you know, the ones who can take it on the chin and just keep going to the next thing. Yes. So she goes, she talks to the teacher, she comes back and she's like, okay, guys, so the teacher go through the whole paper, but she gave me the answers for this question. And it was the question that, I had studied for. So I'm like, wait, 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 before you read them, let me read my answers and you tell me if that's what she told you. And I'm like, okay, so was the first one eradication of smallpox? And she's like, yeah. And then I'm like, was the second one this, this, this? She's like, yeah. And she, and I'm like, I wrote exactly that. Mm -hmm. So 
you know and she, and then I show her my paper and I'm like the whole thing I only got like one or two right if any and she's like well wow you know so stuff like that kept happening and it just put me in a really bad place because you know I would, I would go home and then my mom would be like so what's happening and you know you can't blame the teachers all the time you know at some point your mom is like well <laughs> this isn't adding up (laughs) yes so yeah I just remember being in a very like I I didn't know what I could do anyway I got an A in history for KCSE so we thank god (laughs) but (laughs) it all paid high school was a very dark time like in terms of academic validation but then uni came around and like I said this was where I started walking away from that because I feel like I would never have walked away from it if I didn't go to the uni that I went to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't even know how to explain this properly, but I'll just, so my first semester, I was in the honors program at my school, um, mm-hmm. which meant like classes with other honors students. Um, but the honors class that I was in was a meditation class. It was called mindfulness and narcissism. So the first day mm-hmm. we go to class, the professor is like, okay, so in this class, we're going to be meditating. We'll do five minutes of meditation today, and then we'll do more. And then for your final exam, you will have to meditate for an hour. That's like the first thing he says. And in my mind, I'm like, okay how are you going to grade my meditation? Because I need an A. That that was the first thing. I was like, so how do I show (laughs) this guy that like, I need to get good points. And to be fair, meditation wasn't the only thing we did in the class. It was just a big part of it. We also had to Mm -hmm. read this book and, you know, come up with questions. You know, it was a discussion class, but we would come to class, we sit down on these cushions and then we meditate for five minutes. The next day, 10 minutes. We keep going until we built up to 30 minutes. So that's the first few minutes of class. We're just meditating. And I remember being like, I have to figure out, you know, how how to be perfect at this. And that's very difficult because meditation is hard. It's not just sitting and being like, oh, I am at one with the world. Like the thoughts come and he's like, yeah, just breathe in and out and let the thoughts go. Um so that, that was just my fast outright experience that made me have to, f- like, made me reckon with the fact that, oh, why am I so desperate to get this A? Then yeah. the second semester, um, I did another class that was different, but it was called Racial Mutations. But basically it was a, an English class where we read books it was basically afrofuturism so we read stories and books by people of color but they were sci-fi which i'm actually very interested in because you know sci-fi there's a it's very predominantly white and male so the whole point of the class was just like deconstructing um sci-fi but long story short we had this one story was my favorite story that i've probably ever read i recommend it to everybody um and we had to do uh, an essay talking about the story. 
So I, you know, I did my things and I sent it in and I got a 91, which mm-hmm. is an A minus. And I remember panicking. I remember being like, oh my goodness, I'm going to fail. Like, this isn't an A. Because now the thing is, oh, I forgot to mention this. Now that I was in an environment where if mm-hmm. I failed, would be on me and not on oh the teachers are marking badly or the exam was set this way it's very much what you put in is what you get out I was like if I fail then it's really on me and I'm a failure you know so now again 90 is not a bad grade like I'm not I know the people who are listening to this will probably like she's crazy but in the context of a hundred is the bar 90s very far from the bar yes so i remember being like oh my goodness oh my goodness and panicking um but i didn't i didn't get like another low <laughs> low it wasn't low but you know i didn't get another grade like that for the class but again there was just a lot of perfectionism and beating myself up when they didn't have the perfect score mm-hmm. and one of my favorite professors is who ultimately helped me figure this out. He became my advisor. Oh, I didn't mention this, but when I went into uni, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to study. Because after KCSE, I was called to do law um, mm-hmm. at UON. So, you know, we would probably have been classmates. But... Right, lol. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but in the US, you can't really do law in undergrad. You have to do... Yeah undergrad and then you have to go to law school so for the first time in my life I was like what am I supposed to study in the meantime because for me it was always okay so I'll just do an undergraduate degree then I'll go to law school but I was undecided because I was always so interested in so many things this is another tangent but fun fact the first book my parents ever bought me was titled when I grow up I want to be a doctor so mm-hmm. the, the, the narrative was always Paula is going to become a doctor. And I wanted to become a doctor up until like class eight. And then I was like, oh, maybe I'll become a lawyer. And I was, I remember being like, I'll be a doctor and I'll be a journalist. Cause I was always interested in writing and reading. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in high school, hey, chemistry, bio, I dropped physics immediately. I could drop physics. It was just, <laughs> we were just not seeing eye, eye to eye, you know? Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm good at history. I'll become a lawyer. Um, but then now again, I'm in a situation where lawyer isn't what I'm going to be doing for the next four years. So I was undecided. I didn't really have an advisor until I declared psychology and political science. So my psychology professor was the one who every semester before we choose our classes, I had to meet with him and we'd be like, okay, what are you doing next semester? What are you doing next semester? But then on other times I'd come to him and I'm stressed. And I remember I'd be like, oh my goodness, I'm failing this class. Cause again, I got the 90 and he'd be like, oh, what class are you failing? Cause he always wanted me to experience failure. He would say, he's like, uh-huh. you just need to get it out of your system. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, well, I'm getting an A minus in this. And he'd be like, get out of my office. Like, you are, you're joking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> I didn't take a class with him until my senior year. And 
I knew he was like, so we, we would always have these conversations about grade inflation. And that's the thing where, especially in the US these days, more people are getting A's or mm-hmm. like higher grades than failing grades. And it's not necessarily because the they're supposed to. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. so many of the things, because I remember it came up because one of my other professors in one of my other classes, it was that time of the year, everybody's stressed out. Everyone's like, we're doing finals, we're doing this. And some people went to him and they were like, we don't want to do an exam. Can we do an essay or can we do this? And he was like, you know what? You'll just do a reflection. And then if it's a good, you know, a one-page reflection. And if it's good, then you get a high... And I was telling my professor this, my other professors for psych. And he's like, see, this is why we have great inflation. Like, there's no more tough exams per se. There's no more... This, you know, like the... Basically, the professors are just trying to make you pass. And that can be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on how you look at it. Because some professors would say, well, as long as I'm grading you in the way that shows your learning in whatever way you learn best, then that's fine. Well, mm-hmm. other people will know you need to actively be able to recall what you've been learning. You need to do a test and you need to, you know, so there's two different philosophies. But um, I feel like I've lost my train of thought. But I was I would be talking to my advisor and he'd say, you need to take a class that challenges you. You need to take one of my classes. So when I took his class, I went in and I was like, oh my goodness, this might be the thing that, again, you know, takes away my my whole, oh, Paula is smart thing. So, mm-hmm. and the class was research in clinical psychology. Now, I had not done a clinical psychology class before, but you, that's what you're supposed to do. Um, you're mm-hmm. supposed to do like... Um, Yeah, there's like a whole way you're supposed to do your classes in order. And I hadn't done his clinical psychology because I, okay. So there's five different fields of psych in my school. And that's biopsychology, cognitive psychology, developmental, social, and clinical. And you're supposed to do four of them. And I remember I said, I am not doing biopsychology. Like come rain, come sunshine, I'm not doing biopsychology. I was like, I will drop the major before I do biopsychology. So I was like, okay. But now it was just the way it had happened with COVID and with how classes were um, organized. I wouldn't have been able to graduate if I didn't do biopsych. Or mm. if I didn't do his advanced class before taking his um, basic class. So I remember I went to him and I was like, can I do this? He's like, oh, yeah, you definitely can. Just just take the class. So, like I said, I went in knowing that this would be a challenge. One, because he's a challenging professor. And two, because I hadn't taken the basic class. And now the thing with psych in our school was that we actually did research. You know, Mm. I was a member of his lab and even if, so I said I didn't take a class with him until my senior year. I still had interacted a lot with him because I was part of his research lab where we were researching alcohol in college students. 
-hmm. So um, this class, we, we ended up deciding to do like research about mass shootings in the US and um, media coverage on that. And then the overturn of Roe versus Wade and how that impacted the mental health of college students. It was a whole thing. But you know, we're reading pages and pages of articles and we had to analyze them and we had to ask all these questions. And then we had to collect data and figure out how to think very mathematically in terms of doing our statistics. We had to come up with a survey and we had to design posters and give people a survey. And then just do all these different mathematical calculations. And math is not my strongest suit. Yeah. So we would do all this stuff and I was always just like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And then we had to do a paper by the end of the semester and it was an individual paper. And I don't know if you've ever read like a research psychology paper, but it's very, it has an abstract, it has an introduction, it has... um it has so many different parts and we had to do that whole thing not alone because it was collaboratively corrupt what collaborative it was uh-huh. collaborative but ultimately you had to write your own paper so i remember oh also i'm a procrastinator like i know i'm talking about being oh academics academics i will start something the night before proudly Mm. like it's it's a bad habit that i'm also trying to break but um so i remember when i was he knew i was a procrastinator so he was like you you know this class you can't really procrastinate and i was like yeah you know we'll see (laughs) so one of the first assignments we had that wasn't like oh read this article and analyze it was write the introduction and i was doing another research class at the same time so that's research in cognitive psychology and that deals with uh, you know how you think perception creativity all this stuff and i basically had an introduction due for that class and an introduction due for his class so i remember i just did the introduction for the creativity one we're doing a study on nature and how that impacts creativity it was very interesting um, so I remember I just did the intro and I was like, oh, you know, this, that, and the other. And I sent it in. I'm pretty sure I got an A for that. So then I did the same thing for his. But the thing is, he had given us, we had a Google Drive with all examples of previous introductions because he was like, well, mine are a bit different. And I waited until the night before to check out what his requirements were because I, you know I've written so many papers at this point I know how to write a paper let me tell you the introduction I wrote for my other class was like five pages six pages the introduction samples for his class were like 14 pages oh I was like oh my goodness introduction maybe that's Mm -hmm. a bit of an exaggeration but they were still very long and very technical like my other introductions, you could be like, you know, creativity has always been something humans look up. But him, he wants, you have to cite to do 20 different papers, the papers that we've been analyzing since the first day, you have to put them in there. You have to do this, this, that, and the other. And I remember looking at it the night before and being like, this is the first time I'm not going to be able to get away with procrastination so i just did what i could 
and I sent it to him. And I remember I had a disclaimer. I was like, listen, this is horrible. Like, just know this is horrible. Um, so I went to his office at some point and we were talking and I was like, well, you know, you should just know that the thing I sent you, you remember I've been working on my perfectionism. So, and he's like, oh yeah, it shows. And that hit me cause it was a joke, but it was also a very, like for me, that was the first time that I knew I turned in something that was subpar mm-hmm. and he wasn't admonishing me for it although he was like you can do better you know so it was a very interesting experience yeah um but it was also a draft just for the you know that wasn't the final because once i figured out what i was supposed to do i did it ultimately but i remember um like three quarters through the way to the semester he sent us um our grades He's like, oh, this is what you have for the time being. And then he wrote in the email, he's like, oh, we know, maybe don't look at the grades right now. And I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> he knows me so well because he knows I'll panic if I have anything less than perfection. So again, I feel like this whole long story short is that I was able to walk through my academic validation because of support because of somebody understanding you know yes this is a sore point for you but you can also figure out how to achieve without having this make or break you yes yes and that's that was very long. interesting that you say that because a lot of us are still trying to we try to detach ourselves from academic validation but Deep down, we still aren't fully detached from it mm-hmm. because we still mm-hmm. want the perfect scores, the perfect, day, the perfect, you know, because mm-hmm. that's what at the end of the day we can have all the talents, but that is our one thing growing up. And mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. even for you, you talked about um, doing a research about alcohol in college students, and mm-hmm. that's very interesting to me. I read that uh, as well, you're a teetotaler. Um, mm. you don't drink alcohol so tell me about that why don't you because you know I always tell people it's so funny how the, for us who don't drink alcohol we'll always be asked why you don't drink alcohol but if you say you don't mm. drink water none will ever ask you why you don't drink water so yeah. tell me about your journey with you know booze as well that it's being in an American college I can imagine how you know that mm. was you're like the odd like even in Kenya you're like bro oh, why aren't yeah. you you know so yeah. tell me about that okay um so I don't okay I don't remember when I specifically decided I wasn't going to drink um and I always say like maybe eventually I will but at this point I'm just not interested um and we moved to the U.S. right as I turned 18 and in the U.S. the legal drinking age is 21 so Mm -hmm. Even if I was interested in alcohol, I would have to like either get it at home with my parents because, yeah, them, they're like, oh, yeah, if you want to drink, just drink with us first so you can figure it out before going to unsafe places. But mm-hmm. I was in school for most of my time because my school was like four hours away from where I lived. So I stayed on campus. Um, My first year, okay, I didn't really... um encounter alcohol because I didn't actively seek it out but so many people around me did 
and again i was just never interested so it it, it didn't it wasn't an issue i went to my first party though in january of 2020 wait is that oh yeah covid happened in march Wow, that was a crazy year. But um, so I went to my first frat party because I was just interested in seeing what it was. And there were all these people like, oh, yeah, I have this alcohol, I have this alcohol. And I was just like, first of all, I'm not doing that in this <laughs> dingy environment. Frat houses are very interesting. Um, so. And then I COVID happened, so then I wasn't really. We were out of school till September of the next of the same year, um, and then we. I wasn't doing parties because I was like, please, I don't want to die from this uh-huh. thing. Um, I did go into quarantine, <sighs> bro. I was in quarantine for like ten days, and I was so annoyed because it's not like I had COVID. It was you know the. T- they did a lot of contact tracing so if you are in the vicinity of someone who had covid then you also get put in bro that was not fun but so when i got out my friends did say they want to do a thing so like they got some alcohol and were standing outside so again it's like there's air we're not it's not a party but they were drinking and i remember again i was just not interested but then there was this perception that because I didn't drink, I was judging them for drinking, which yes. I I was like, I'm Kenyan. Everybody I know is an alcoholic. Like, and that's that's kind of a joke, but like everyone I know drinks so much. Trust me, if I judge people for drinking, then you like, didn't even have friends. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have any friends. I remember. I went, I was in Washington, D.C. at some point when DJ Mafarisa had, like, won an award. So there were all these Zimbabweans hanging out, and I was hanging out with them. And I remember when they would try to give me alcohol, I was like, oh, no, I don't drink. They're like, how are you Kenyan and you don't drink? So, again, yeah. the perception of Kenyans being drinkers is out there. So I was so confused where this judgment thing was coming from. But, again, ultimately, I just didn't. I, I'm just not interested. And then I did... So clinical psychology deals with um, mental health and then addiction. So I did an addictive behaviors class my last semester. And we talked about all the drugs. So alcohol, LSD, weed, everything. And I remember on the first day of class, my professor was like, so gun to your head, you're told to choose between a glass of alcohol or like heroin which one would you take and everyone is like oh yeah i mean alcohol 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 and um my professor basically spent the rest of the class and the rest of the semester showing us that okay so not necessarily that heroin is a better choice but alcohol is not the obvious choice you know yes mm-hmm. of all the drugs and I don't want to seem like I'm a pro heroin person. Please don't edit this in a way that makes <laughs> makes me yeah. seem like that. But uh-huh. I remember him saying heroin is the one drug that, if taken quote unquote properly, has no negative effects long term on your body. And mm-hmm. that was just crazy. Because you know, yeah, I, I won't go into the whole thing, but 
you know, with alcohol, there's all the liver cirrhosis stuff. If you look at all the drugs, when, you know, violent crimes are mostly associated with alcohol. Um, yes. Again, there were just all these things that, again, is for me, I'm just like, I'm not interested. Yes. Mm, and I also think I have a very big control thing. Um, growing really? up, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> growing up. So this is going to be very silly, but I watched an episode of, I, I guess, Justice League or something where, you know, that starfish alien that sticks on you and then it controls your mind. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're a DC guy, but it's it's a very yeah. prominent villain. So mm-hmm. I watched an episode when I was like four, five, six, four, five. And Superman got, like, that starfish got on him and he got mind controlled and he was killing everyone. And from that day, first of all, I was scared of Superman and I was scared of starfish till I was very (laughs) old. Still, I was embarrassingly old, like 12. But Mm -hmm. I think the idea of mind control and in, like, a real sense, the idea of not being in control of my own mind was mm-hmm. always so scary to me. I was like, what do you mean if I drink alcohol, I can say stuff I don't mean, or I can, what? I just, I can't imagine not being in control of my own thoughts. It's, yes. again, it ties with the perfectionism. It ties with the, you know, like, it's my idea of who I am and yes. I don't want to be swayed. Because mm-hmm. I remember, also, like, I don't need alcohol to have fun like i'll yes. seek out go- like i love music and i love dancing with my friends so i'll go out with them and they'll have to drink so that they can dance but i'm already on the dance floor without alcohol and yes. going back to the first party that i went to i remember there was a classmate of mine who went the uh, meditation class together we weren't really friends but you know it was like hi hi and I guess she was drunk and she comes up to me and she's like, oh, we know dance with me. And I'm like, oh, of course. And so we're dancing and she's like, I love you so much. That's what the end, that's the energy I'm always on. I was like, oh my goodness, I love you too. And we're just, I thought we're having a good time. The next time I saw her, she didn't even talk to me. So I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, so, and again, it's not like a bad thing, but I was like, oh, for me, I'll tell you, I love you at any point like because that's just who i am but this idea Mm -hmm. when oh ah, billy i love you so much thank you for having me on your podcast (laughs) you want people Uh to fight me you clearly have someone (laughs) to fight me but okay Uh (laughs) um no one will fight you if they want to fight you give them my number (laughs) um (laughs) but yeah i'm just like oh so this was a fake encounter or you know it was like not i don't know it just it made me feel a bit off kilter yes because yeah the the and it's again it's not a bad thing it's it it is what it is but it was just so interesting to me because i was like if so that means if i was drunk we would have this moment but now that you're sober we can't have the moment yeah 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 is it all a lie is it just you know what is this? Yeah, it's very mm. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I also agree with that, that I also like being in control of my actions. So it's always so mm. mind-boggling to 
you know, see someone just let themselves drink themselves silly to the point where you actually, you know, can't function. And it's like, mm. wow, how do you let yourself get to that point? Like, I'm not judging, mm. but personally, as for me, mm-hmm. I don't think so, you know. Mm. So, and as well that, you know, for, someone actually told me this last Saturday, that mm-hmm. probably, Billy, for you, it's a gift that you can actually socialize without being drunk. Um, mm. And I was like, maybe to some extent it's a gift, but if you continue yourself to always realize when you're drunk, then, I mean, that would impede on some of the skills. Because I think as well, just realizing uh, probably is a skill that anyone can build if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's always different schools of thought. But with that as well, you talked about um, wanting to be a lawyer, right? <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, even though you've not done law as formally, you've been... Mm-hmm in several spaces of advocacy, both for women, both for the environment. So tell me about mm-hmm. uh, what drove, apart from just being the best in history and, uh, <laughs> you know, knowing your stuff in history, what do you think drove your love for advocacy, especially for women, women matters mm-hmm. and anything that appertains women and se- their sexuality? Mm. <sighs> So I always like to say I was a feminist from when I was three years old, which is funny. <laughs> but I just what a feminist was. Uh-huh. Exactly, exactly. I remember in the first school I went to, um, we, because we were young, like we were so young. Um, and, you know, we're like, oh, yeah, let's hang out on the swing. So it's me and like four other children and I was okay. I've always okay. I've also always been. I've had like the, the leadership gene in me. So mm-hmm. I remember being like, oh, okay, so I'm your leader, you know. Mm-hmm. And everyone was like, oh yeah, yeah. So I don't know if we were playing a game where we were royalty, you know. So someone was like, yeah, you're a leader, so you're our queen. And I remember being like, no, I'm the king because queens don't have any power mm-hmm. and i'm like first of all every time i think about that i'm like first of all you're three years old or four i don't know why yes. why do you know this you know it was because i don't think my mom my mom doesn't exactly identify as a feminist although we have conversations where i'm like mom you're basically a feminist you don't you just yeah. don't like the word which is very odd to me because yeah if you believe in the equality of men and women then you're a feminist like that's the definition you can get into the nitty-gritty of oh well some feminists but it's the same thing you know water is water even if some water is black some is dirty some is contaminated water is still water but anyway i'm getting into the weeds on that um Mm -hmm. so i think i've just always been very passionate about equality in all senses of the word so even when i went to the u.s um people of color that also became a huge point of advocacy for me i started this club on campus called the african student association i didn't start it myself um i was a co-founder with a bunch of um my friends um but it was just always important to me that people are treated fairly I've read this poem that I can't really recall exactly right now, but it's like, you know, growing up as a child, you believe that everything should be fair, but then the world tells you that's naive, but it's like, it's sad that we live in a society where 
bad things happen and bad things happen to select groups of people and we're just like that's how the world is i think the poem says the child isn't the one that's wrong society is the one that's wrong you know yes um cuz and I, i i'm not naive i understand oh yeah you know bad things happen but it's like when you say yeah the world is unfair that just takes away the you know the the impetus to do what needs to be done to maybe change it to maybe fix it you know mm-hmm. um so yeah i think every time i read something that just makes me feel angry oh that's another thing like i hate this is going to sound odd but i hate complaining and not doing anything about it yeah like being in high school there were so many things that were out of my control and out of everybody's control so the only thing you could do was complain and yeah. i remember telling myself i really don't want to be in such a position again because this makes me feel even more powerless so if i ever find a situation where i'm not happy instead of just being like oh you know this is bad i want to be actively trying to solve the problem mhm yes Does that so, answer the question? It does. So how did cat call come about? Are you stalking me? I do my homework. I mean, do you think, expect a host to just come? <laughs> But that's true. Talk, that's true. I'm sure that's part job. of the issues you're trying to, you know. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So when I moved to New York, um I came across cat calls of nyc which was the original um account that base okay so basically um this is a movement that it's a youth led movement that is trying to fight against cat calling so you know when you're on the street and those guys are like oh rambo this that and the other it's like it happens globally so i remember stumbling across catcalls of nyc and being like this is is wonderful like this is such a good um you know account you know it's it's like a good organization and there were so many around the world there's catcalls of london there's catcalls of um cairo just all over the world because this is a global problem and really? so what kind no. Mm-hmm. the yeah what cat calls of nyc does is they'll go around different parts of new york where you know somebody was cat called and they'll write with chalk um what the password said and they'll try and get it on that street and then they'll take a picture and they'll post it so just scrolling through that account and seeing what all these women especially but you know cat calling can happen to anyone um what they're told and so there's all these entries where someone is like yeah i was walking and this guy is like oh if only no one else was around i would taste you or something and she's like i'm 13 years old or i'm yeah. 50 like all these people that are so young going through this and people will be like oh that's a compliment but that's not a compliment that's a threat and not even you wouldn't compliment a man like that you wouldn't uh-huh. it's just it, it's just very awesome 
so just because I wasn't in Kenya, I didn't want, I was like, we need one at home. So I reached out to my friends and I was like, do you, are you guys interested in starting this? I know I'm not there. So if you just want to do it by yourself, you can't. But they were like, no, I think we, you can help even if you're not here. So we started the account where people send in their submissions of like where they've been catcalled around Nairobi or around Kenya. And then the idea was we were supposed to go to the places and chalk, but that's not as feasible here as it is in New York. So yes. we were like brainstorming ways we could figure this out. Cause like catcalls of Cairo, they just um, do the submissions and they'll just post them as is like a black screen and then type so they don't have to go into the streets. So that was what we majorly did. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I don't want to say it fell off, but it just, cause COVID happened. So we couldn't move around as much. And then I got busy in school because I, I got all these new responsibilities. Um, we we are more active in different ways. So like right now, uh, Chalkback, which is like the big organization, is in charge of the smaller accounts, became a full-fledged nonprofit, and I'm on the board of that wow. nonprofit. So mm-hmm. I kind of pivoted away from running the account on the day-to-day. Oh, although like my dream would be to revive it and just like make catcalls or like the culture around catcalling, like we just need to look at it with a magnifying glass because, you know, I was just in town yesterday and this guy just said some pretty vile stuff to me as I was walking. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what what pushes you to just see someone going about their day and then you just want to say this stuff? Because, yeah. you know, you never think someone, because I don't, I think they were like, oh, you have such nice breasts. So it's like, you think I'm going to turn around and be like, oh my goodness, thank you so much. Please, let's go on a date right now. You know, like what, what do you think is going to happen when you mm-hmm. cut somebody? Like there's no positive that comes from that. You just, first of all, he didn't ruin my day because I didn't give him the power to, but like, you just made me so hyper aware of myself. And now mm-hmm. I'm going to go about the rest of my day being like, why is this guy looking at me? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So with that, how can men join in on the conversation? Because clearly men are the men are the main perpetrators of the cat calling. So how do mm-hmm. we as men join in on this conversation? And even as you speak about that, talk to me about even your past with your past relationships with your past partners how have they held space for you to feel safe as a woman and so case in point example if you to walk to your man in town and that happened what would you have expectations of your man to do would it to be assure you would it to be confronted the person talk to me about mm-hmm. that in that lens okay so I think, first of all, the biggest thing that men can do is hold their fellow men accountable. In whatever way that is, it definitely needs to be done. Because you know how people will say, like when the Me Too movement was happening or when mm-hmm. people say men are trash or something and people or men or people, actually, no, people in general will be like, not all men. 
But then you have to realize that every single woman in your life has gone through this. So it's like, how is it that every woman you know, and that's just a fact, has either been catcalled, been groped, been um, sexually assaulted? I actually saw some statistics. Um, I think it's in Kibera or someplace in Nairobi. 50% of women said that their first sexual encounter was non-consensual. So that that's wow. just a crazy number. Like, yes. It just makes me so sad. But that's what I mean. If your boy, you're talking and he's just like, ah, something, something. And he says something even a little bit off color. It doesn't even need to be a whole conversation. You can just be like, that's not cool. You know, they need to be able, your friends need to be able to know that you don't stand for that. You know? Mm -hmm. When women are complaining, you're not the person saying, well, not all men. You don't have to prove that they can say, for example, not Billy. When his friend said this, Billy told him to cut it out, you know? Because, mm-hmm. again, with that calling and this idea that as a man you have, you're entitled to either call out something about a woman's body or you're just entitled to a woman's space because that's what happens when, for example, a man will ask a woman out and she'll say no and then they'll kill her or attack her. Like right now in London, a woman, I don't know if she was on the subway or she was just asked out by a guy. She said no, and he killed her. So it's like, yeah, maybe your friends don't kill women, but when your friend wants a girl and then she says no, and she's like, ah, she's a bitch. Or, you know, like those words mean something. And Mm -hmm. again, as men, because... If I say, oh, as a woman, if I'm like, oh, that wasn't nice, men will, a man might get defensive or, you know, they might be like, well, blah, blah, blah. But if as a guy, you're like, that was off, it just holds a different power, unfortunately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you said how, like, what support would be. See, that's that's the interesting thing. If it's a stranger cat calling you on the street it might be dangerous for someone to like confront them uh-huh. so i'll be really honest. i really don't know what the best thing would do but i mean offering comfort after the fact um is helpful i know when i was in new york um if it would ever happen and i was with my male friends they would always just like stare them down or sometimes they would say something back so I feel again, I just feel like just noticing and knowing that this is a very upsetting thing to happen on the day to day, that's a very big first step. You know, like if something like that happens and just like, well, it is what it is, then that's the wrong approach. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, even now, as we wind up, you still haven't answered me a question on your partners. So that's why I want to, even as we wind up, you last tell me mm-hmm. about, even as a feminist, how do your partners show up for you, especially in an age where feminism has been painted as such a bad thing that, uh, you know, feminists want to be higher than the men, feminists don't want to, you know. So sometimes even as men, I know we use feminism to advantage where we don't have to split the bill because we say, ah, so you're a feminist, so let's split the bill. Or mm-hmm. uh, I won't open uh, the door for you because apparently you're a feminist, but sometimes as well, Feminism make it hard for 
you know, I, I don't know if they make it hard for women to show up for them in their lives. So talk to me about that as well as, you know, being in touch with your feminine and masculine side, if there's such a thing, <laughs> and how all this can, you know, um, come into play, because I know you probably explored a lot of this in gender, in your advocacy, so how does all this come to play? So, I mean, I don't necessarily know if I can answer the question from a partner's point of view, um, but... I don't know, like the arguments for splitting the bill and all these other things, like for the most part, I pay for most things for myself, you know, and it's not even that, oh, I'm a feminist, but it's just that if you're the one who invites the other person, you should probably be the one paying. If you are more financially stable than the other person, then you should probably pay. But I don't think that there's, I feel like it's such a toxic um conversation sometimes when people have mm. it because it's like oh you you're a feminist so you want to pay it's just like stuff doesn't need to be so charged all the time if you yes. don't want to pay don't pay it's not yes. that big of a deal you know if you want to pay and your partner is fine with paying with you paying then fine but i don't know it just sometimes it gets a lot into the weeds and you have mm-hmm. asked about with my feminine or masculine side yeah i don't necessarily know but um so i people have always said that i was a tomboy growing up my mom is always like when i wear a dress she's like wow she's dressed up today but um i I just feel like i don't know i feel like people just have space to do what makes them feel good you know, yes. whether that's, I, yeah, if if being, dressing up and doing makeup, as long as it's coming from a positive place is what you like, then do that. But if just chilling, again, because I don't even know what, see, gender is such a, gender is a social construct. And I don't mean like, oh, gender doesn't exist, but many of the things that we ascribe gender to is not a necessarily, it's not based in any science. It's just based on societal norms. Like the color pink, for example, now it's, oh yeah, you know, Barbie and girls pink. But as even like the 1920s, 30s, there's this newspaper article and it's like, oh yeah, pink is a strong color for boys. So I don't know where the switch happened, but stuff like color stuff like um i don't know what else is like predominantly and then exactly that's all just stuff that we've decided as a society this is what should be done you know like there's always this narrative like no evolutionarily men used to go out and hunt and women would stay home but that's literally not true like if you read up any archaeological studies especially the new ones that have been coming out this year you see that it was a very even proportion of women and men who went hunting and who stayed home because it's just you all these things that we try to give weight to they just they just don't exist once you examine them on a scientific level. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
Interesting. You know, one thing about this conversation, I really loved how multifaceted this conversation has been from talking about, mm-hmm. you know, academic validation, to advocacy, to, you know, um, so now I'll call you again so we can talk about the big things you have planned for yourself for the future because you <laughs> seem like a person who's very, you know, community div- driven and one of those people who want to make change genuinely in the world and not just performatively, but, you know, because when even as you've spoken about your advocacy work, you speak about it with so much passion, I'm just like, wow, when I grow up, you know, and clearly <laughs> your passion has led you to different spaces like how you're telling me you helped with the organizing of the african climate summit i was just like wow what doesn't you do you know (laughs) listen you know don't give me too big of a role i was i was an intern okay i was just uh either way imagine it you know for who's one one semester you're interning for un the next one who the next one you are in isis the next one you just and what I'm talking about is just like, ah, you know, it's just a small internship, nothing big. You guys don't mean a big deal <laughs> when it's a big deal. So receive your flowers, Paula. Thank you. Thank you. I've received them. Thank you. Thank you for receiving them. So I'll let the listeners tweet at us at the Bushan pod for us at the good, the bad, and the Bushan. Tell us all the things they've loved about this episode. Have a lovely week ahead, folks, and uh, cheers.